Welcome into The Fade. I am Clay Travis. He is Todd Furman. We are rolling through everything in the world of the College Football National Championship game taking place in Indianapolis a few hours from now. Georgia, Alabama going head-to-head. We also have the NFL playoffs set. Everything surrounding the wildcard matchups on what they're calling Super Wildcard Weekend and more we will discuss. But Furman, I want to start with that wild game that we saw last night. I mean, for sheer entertainment value, uh, the Chargers going up against the Raiders in your current town of Las Vegas. Unbelievable spectacle. So much insanity. It ended in regulation on a 19-play, 83-yard drive. I just want to start there. Have you ever seen a 19-play drive in a two-minute offense before? I've never seen anything like that. No, not 19 plays covering 83 yards in a drive that barely span more than two minutes. It's one thing if you get a 17-play, 10- to 12-minute march in a football game, whether it's early on or coming out of the half, but never in those circumstances because you want to criticize the Raiders for not being able to get off the field on fourth down. You want to criticize the Chargers for their clock management and not finding a way to preserve maybe another 45 or 50 seconds on the other side of the two-minute warning. Uh, But that game really had everything. And Clay, we can even add another layer to that because as that game unfolded in the final minutes, I know I was texting with you and cousin Sal. Keep in mind, Nicole is a Steelers fan. So she did not want to tie by any, by hook or by crook. So she was starting to get nervous. I could see the look in her face going, you know, after everything the Steelers had done to get themselves a chance to get to the playoffs. But lo and behold, a 47-yard field goal from a former SEC superstar, and Daniel Carlson, the Chargers go home, the Raiders move on, and uh, the gift at the end of the rainbow, so to speak, for them, a short week to take on Joe Burrow in the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, so let's go back to that overtime situation. Clock is running. There's about four or five seconds left on the play clock. Derek Carr is in the shotgun. It's third and four. There are, whatever, 40 seconds left-ish, maybe 45 seconds, whatever the math is, left in the game at that point in time. And Brandon Staley of the Chargers takes a timeout. How bad of a decision do you think that was? Because I'm sitting, you're right, we were texting during the game like, oh my, you know, this is crazy the way it's playing out. (laughs) But I'm sitting, uh, and by sitting, I mean laying down in my bed watching this game. Let me just say this. The best benefit to not having to get up every morning at 4.30 to do my morning radio show, which I did for the last five or six years, is all of those games... Uh, when the game's going into overtime, when it's dragging on like that, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you're doing math. Okay, I'm going to get four hours sleep. Okay, I'm going to get four and a half. Okay, that's if I fall asleep immediately, which is hard to do when you're all worked up watching a game, especially if you've gambled on it. But Furman, I really do believe if he doesn't call time out there, that the Raiders are likely, look, in that shotgun formation, I'm looking at it, watching it live. My wife doesn't care about it at all, but I'm saying, okay, they're going to run the draw out of the shotgun formation there. Be prepared for it on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, If they throw it, whatever, that's like, if you're going to lose, you're going to lose or whatever, right? Just play man-to-man. Presume that they're going to run the draw out there to run the clock out. Instead, they take a timeout. They change their formation. Granted, they still gained whatever it was, 10 yards on the run. But I really do believe if the Chargers don't take a timeout there, if they just play normal defense, that the Raiders likely let the clock run out whether they get the first down or not. 
Well, a normal defense is, of course, a relative term for this Chargers team That's and their inability point. to stop the run that, that we've seen all year. But I got sucked into a wormhole, a war of words with one of our, well, my, I guess my former Fox colleagues, Matt Leiter, coming off the top rope, telling me I'm an idiot. No teams play for ties. This was always the case. But it's convenient for Matt to say that after the field goal goes through the upright. So kudos to Matt for saying the Raiders made the right decision, which nobody would have said if that field goal gets blocked in return, oh, however no low the likelihood of the probability of that occurring. But Brandon Staley's comments I thought were fascinating. He claimed he called the timeout to get the right personnel out there. But if you look at the substitution package, he actually subbed off one of his linebackers and brought in an extra defensive back, which I don't quite understand how that helps you sell out to stop the run, knowing how leaky your run defense had been in the first place. Then you get Derek Carr in the heat of the moment, his interview with Michelle Tafoya saying, you know, them calling a timeout changed our strategy. Now, what that strategy was, I don't think we're ever going to know for certain. Rick Bisaccia pretty much said, Rich Bisaccia pretty much says the same thing as well. And here we are in a spot where I truly believe the Raiders were content to have no risk, realizing they were going to go to the playoffs. And then naturally, because you can't substantiate this claim, people say, well, the Raiders knew they wanted to avoid the Chiefs. So they were going to do everything they could to win. You're not running a draw right into the teeth of a defense with a minute 30 seconds to go if your goal is to win the football game and avoid the Chiefs. And I'll go one step further, Clay, in all of this. Why is playing the avoiding the Chiefs such a huge reward? The Bengals kicked the shit out of the Raiders in their own building here. You now have 36 hours less of rest where you're traveling further across the country because you're going from a late-night game on Sunday Night Football to the early kickoff on Saturday instead of playing a Chiefs team that could potentially be down a Keacog on their offensive line, Tyreek Hill limited with a heel injury, Travis Kelsey not at 100%, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So I find that argument so hard to believe. But you know when you try and have rational discussions with irrational people, these are the kind of strategies that get thrown out. But for me, I look at it and go, you know what? The only thing that could have happened by trying to score there is a negative outcome if things backfire. I'd have been content taking these, controlling my own destiny, and going, you know what? We're not afraid of the Chiefs. We'll go to Kansas City and Arrowhead on Sunday Night Football, and we'll try and beat them at their own game like we were able to do last year. What I love about sports gambling, and there are many things, but ultimately, it's a probabilistic way of thinking, right? Um, and, and I'm going to talk about this in the context of Georgia and Alabama because it factors in with the way that I am going to bet. Now, you're much better at math than me. Sal is much better at math than me. Uh, but that's I tried, debatable. Yeah. That, that's deba well, that's debatable that be, given how Sal's especially bet so this far year this with season Sal's with my removal from Fox Bell Live. So. But what I try to teach my boys all the time is to – avoid you know for it's fine if you're doing it for humor's sake or whatever else like uh we had a big debate about who the best looking uh girl is in 1980s movies and i just categorically argued today on the radio show we just finished this uh that for my purposes Allie on karate kid was like the the the, the queen van damme right the the the, the, the femme fatale of the uh, of the entire 1980s women movie canon. Now there are other nominees: Sloane Peterson on Ferris Bueller, Phoebe Cates, Fast Time at Ridgemont High, Kelly LeBlanc, LeBrock in Weird Science, Wendy Peppercorn in Sandlot. I know that's a 90s movie, but I'm giving it. Yeah, Jennifer that's not Gray, that's not 80s. Jennifer Grey in Dirty Dancing, uh, Winnie in Wonder Years. There were a bunch. I said Princess Leia on Jabba's lap in the uh, in the uh, in the bikini, uh, which was uh, which was an incredible moment for uh, for all males out there. But like having fun with like this is definitive uh, answers, whatever. But in general, in life, think probabilistically, 
right? And so, tying it in with college football and the way that I think about gambling, I am on Georgia minus two and a half, and I'm also on the under in this game. So for everybody out there, Georgia minus two and a half and the under. And the reason why I like Georgia is, Furman, I've watched Georgia play all year. There are 14 different sample sizes that we have to analyze the Georgia Bulldog football team. For 13 of those games, what has been reflected in that sample size is this is an elite-level defense that is reflective, one of the best defenses that we've seen in modern era in college football. For one quarter against Alabama, second quarter, people forget, yes, the score ended up 41-24, but Georgia was up 10-0 in that game in the second quarter, Furman, and then everything fell apart. They gave up more points in the second quarter than they had given up in the entire season in any game. So I think Georgia is going to fix what ailed them in that game. I think that Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs are going to win this game. I believe that they are better than Alabama, more skilled on the offensive and defensive lines. Bama is better at the quarterback position, which can make you a little bit nervous if you are gambling here. Uh, But I believe the Bulldogs are going to exorcise the Demons from 1980, going all the way back to when they last won their national championship. I believe they win, and I think a big part of this, college football, uniquely in the world of sports with big audiences, does not see very many rematches. And so your average college football fan expects that whatever happens in one game is going to be replicated in another one, unlike, say, an NFL fan or a college basketball fan or certainly an NBA fan where you see rematches all the time. NHL, this would apply as well. Every game is a unique subset of what would happen in a thousand-minute game. I think Georgia is the better team. I think they win tonight and the under hits. I'm going Bulldogs 24-17. What say you, Furman? Yeah, I like Georgia. I'm on Georgia as well. I bet them on the money line, so I'm not sure if that's the kiss of death for us agreeing on the game, but I think you make a ton of valid points talking about these teams. And when you look at gambler's fallacy amongst confirmation bias and a lot of other psychological terms we can use to describe things, to your point, I think it's very hard for a college football fan that watched Georgia play Alabama uh, barely more than a month ago and Alabama moved the football, you know, with relative ease for the better part of three quarters. To your point, they did have that 24-point explosion in the second quarter. And other than that, the game was relatively within reach. But when you're looking at today's game, and I think this is a fascinating number, when you look over, I think it's the last four or five matchups, Georgia has either led or been tied with Alabama for more than 70% of gameplay. They just haven't been able to seal the deal and get over the hump. So you try and figure out how you quantify that psychological barrier, whether it's Kirby Smart and his coaching staff figuring out how to kill Alabama when they're down and step on the throat. If it's Stetson Bennett, you're not getting stuck in his own self-doubt if things don't go the way Georgia imagines on the opening drive or two. So there are so many unique variables in this equation. But I think what's even further to support your point is people find it so hard to grasp the fact that, hey, look, because Team 8 beat Team B on any given Saturday or any given Sunday, that Team B who lost that first matchup can somehow still be favored in that next matchup. But when you dig into this one, not only do I think Georgia has a chance to rectify what's gone wrong, Alabama, from a personnel perspective, isn't close to the same football team that they were back then. You've now lost John Meshi III, who was your biggest possession receiver, who represented nearly 100 catches for Bryce Young in this Alabama offense, especially on third and intermediate. You weren't looking for Jamison Williams on deep shots. It was Meshi operating underneath, whether he was in the slot or split out wide. 
you're down your top cover corner in Josh Joe, which wouldn't seem like a big deal for Alabama, given that Georgia doesn't have a ton of threats that scare you on the outside. But now everybody has to step up. And Jalen Armour Davis is far from 100%. He was in and out of the Cincinnati game. You're looking at an Alabama offensive line who, yes, they're going to get their right guard and their right tackle back in the mix. But who knows how healthy they are nine days removed from a Cincinnati game they were unable to finish. And while all of us want to talk about Alabama's game plan being by design, and I really believe that coming from someone who bet that game under the total and Brian Robinson over his rushing yards, that they were going to run against the lighter box of the Bearcats. Well, that's not going to be a luxury. So if you're Georgia, in my opinion, you're selling out to make Alabama one-dimensional. You're trying to scheme ways to bracket Jamison Williams, and you're almost going, you know what, Nick Saban, Bill O'Brien and Bryce Young, if you're going to beat us, you're going to need to do it left-handed, and it's got to be Jaleel Billingsley. It's got to be Slade Bolden and the cast of other Alabama receivers. So I'm with you that I think Georgia finally gets over the hump, and I'll go one step further, and this isn't the reason that you base a business decision on this by any stretch of the imagination. If Georgia can't win here, Georgia may never beat (coughs) Alabama while Nick Saban is walking the sidelines in Tuscaloosa, I think it's the perfect spot to buy low on Georgia. I think they'll make some of the adjustments, uh, and I really believe Georgia gets over the hump. Although, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit nervous that Nick Saban shows up in a bomber jacket. That screams confidence. <laughs> that screams 1980s movie vibe. And anytime you see Nick Saban dressing that way or coming out of character, he may have a uh, ace up his sleeve that the Georgia Bulldogs are going to have to deal with tonight. By the way, uh, we've got a prop that uh, is up at, uh, at FanDuel.com slash Clay in Illinois, Indiana, New Jersey, and West Virginia. I don't know why just those four states. But I've got Georgia to win the under, as I told you. I also like Stetson Bennett, the passing yards over, and Robinson, the rushing yards over for Alabama. Um, uh, I believe that they're going to try to force Alabama to try and run the ball a little <coughs> bit more. Uh, so anyway, that is a 20 to 1 payout, according to uh, my crew at Outkick that they are offering you. Uh, if you, you bet got me poke same game. Part you got me poking around now, looking at first touchdown scores, trying to see if there's any value in the market for uh, Georgia players that I think are undervalued. But I'll, yeah, I'll, I, I like. Uh, I'm betting on the first touchdown uh, prop. By the way, let me pull that up because uh, I already bet on this one, um, and I took uh, the uh, the tight end for uh, for, Rock, uh, for Rock Bowers. Yeah, he's a beast. True freshman. I mean, so, he's ready to go to the NFL now. I got him at right at eight and a half to one, I think, for the first touchdown. Uh, so uh, that we're talking about that. Uh, we talked about that on Fox Bet Live. So when I look at some of the stuff that's out there, and I think, you know, when you talk about Bowers, there's no doubt he's getting all the buzz, and that number's actually come down. He's, at, he's the second favorite on the board at plus 650 by an only Jamison Williams. I'm going to go in slightly different directions, but because I like George, I'll make a case for two players. I think Alabama will be looking to try and limit Bowers' effectiveness, especially in the red zone. So I'll go to tight end, but I'll go with Lad McConkey uh, at a price of 19 to one. I think that's, or sorry, 24 to one for Georgia. And I'll also take a little bit of a flyer on Jermaine Burton. He, of course, had the big play against Michigan. So at 19 to one, those would be my two long shots for Georgia, especially if they come out throwing. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to run the ball effectively if it's a first and goal type situation. So Burton, if it's a long shot, you know, from 25 to 30 yards out, and I wouldn't be shocked if McConkie's the guy while Alabama pays a ton of attention to an NFL caliber tight end of Brock Bowers. What I don't get these, by the way, because I'm in Tennessee. You can bet at fanduel.com slash clay, but Tennessee does not allow prop bets right now 
on individual players in state. That's probably something that they should modify uh, and, uh, and add my personal opinion there. Uh, what is Stetson Bennett to score the first touchdown? Because he is pretty athletic in terms of running the ball and it would not shock me at all if he had an opportunity at some point to score with his legs. You know, honestly, I'm looking at first touchdown score. I don't even see Stetson Bennett listed. Let me go through and make sure that I'm not glossing over. Yeah, I don't see him listed. I actually don't. Bryce Young is 30 to 1, yep. but I do not see Stetson. Oh, sorry, 33 to 1. There we go. I missed it. The Stetson first Bennett time is 33 so to 1. Think- 33 to 1. Yeah, well, let me tell you that. I like the value on Stetson Bennett to be the first touchdown scorer at, uh, at 33 to 1. Um, that is, uh, that's not bad at all. Uh, all right. Anything else that stands out to you about tonight's national title game? Any bets that you have made or that you like? I think when you're looking at some of the receiver markets and I know these props aren't always available. So, uh, our corporate overlords at FanDuel might not be thrilled. Uh, Slade Bolden to be Alabama's top receiver actually was a pretty generous price out there. Cause when you look at uh, the over-unders for him versus Jamison Williams, I think Williams gets all the buzz, and rightfully so, knowing he's the big play threat. But I would look at some of the other Alabama receivers because I still believe that Georgia takes Jamison Williams away and at least tries to neutralize some of his effectiveness. So that's where I would be targeting some of the secondary players. The other player prop that I like, and I know it's come down a touch. There are some books out here in the desert with bigger numbers. I think Brian Robinson struggles to run the football. I think this is a stock that you kind of you know, fade at the top of the market. His over-under was 85.5 at FanDuel in the uh, college football semifinal game against Cincinnati. He went over that number by halftime. I really believe this is a game where Alabama has to use a short controlled passing game, get the ball out of Bryce Young's hands quickly, more so than they can establish a ground game because you haven't been able to run against this Georgia front. Unless Brian Robinson is getting 20 to 25 touches or happens to rip off a 30-yard carry if Alabama's playing with a lead, which you and I don't think will be the case, uh, I think going under on his rushing number here, despite improved health from where it was in the SEC title, I haven't pegged more in that 16 to 18 carry range, uh, and I think he finishes in the low 60s, high 50s. Uh, All right, let's go to the NFL. We've got the super wild card weekend. Furman, I'm going to run through each of these games, all six of them. Uh, I will point out that I don't even know what it feels like to be a uh, a fan of a team that has to play on wild card weekend. I mean, I feel bad for you (laughs) because my team doesn't even have to play. We just get to sit back and wait and see who we're going to play in the divisional round. Uh, Of course, the Titans locking up that overall number one seed. Derrick Henry with two more weeks to get ready. Uh, We'll play either the four, the five, the six, or the seven, uh, depending on how the wild card games go. First wild card, you already hinted at this, quick turnaround for the Raiders. Raiders are a six or six and a half point underdog against the Bengals. I like the Raiders here. I also think I like the over 49 in this game. I'm going to bet both of those. How would you break this down? Do you buy into the Raiders or the Bengals or any particular sign here of this game? So first things first, we'll do our uh, weekly reminder. Please check the weather reports before placing your bets, especially if you're looking to make a case to go over the total in any of these games, unless it's being played on the West Coast or in a dome. Now that we have that out of the way, this number actually opened a shade higher at FanDuel. You saw the Bengals as a six and a half point favorite. So initial support for the Raiders. For me, I made this number a little bit shorter. I think there is value and a secondary key of about a point, point and a half working in the Raiders' favor. When you look at the Raiders and their strength defensively, they can get after opposing quarterbacks. And you saw that on full display. I mean, Storm Norton had to do everything he could other than mug and maul 
uh, Max Crosby, who essentially lived in the backfield. So if the Raiders can generate pressure, whether it's with Yannick Ngakwe or Max Crosby with their front four, we know the Bengals' biggest weakness is along their offensive line. So despite having an edge on the outside, because the Bengals do skill position-wise, I think the Raiders can take Joe Burrow off his spot. Now, we talked about a little bit, the quick turnaround, so that's a little bit concerning, and you try and figure out how to try and quantify that particular side of things. But this is a Raiders team now that's playing for one another. They feel like they're playing with a bit of house money. Derek Carr, of course, wasn't able to play back in 2016 against the Houston Texans where Connor Cook was the starting quarterback because he broke his leg. Can't remember if it was in the regular season finale or week 16 back then. So I'm with you. I think the Raiders are a live underdog. Don't have strong feelings on the total. Want to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, But I think the Raiders will be poised for this spot. And I think it's a situation where coaching is neutral. You do get a quarterback edge in Joe Burrow. But we've seen it time and time again. Quarterbacks making their first playoff starts laying points are oftentimes a good go against scenario, especially in wildcard weekend. Uh, All right. The Bills are a four and a half point favorite on the Saturday night game. Patriots on the road. Obviously, they've already played twice. This will be a third matchup for these two teams. Over under 43 and a half. I am on the Bills here, okay? I think the Bills, and I understand this is somewhat dangerous. I think the Bills have turned it up a notch down the stretch run of the season here. I love Josh Allen. I think they're happy to play against the Patriots. I know Bill Belichick is a great coach. Mac Jones, first ever playoff start. Going to be a ruckus atmosphere in Orchard Park given how the Patriots have owned the A Bills. ruckus or raucous? A ruckus atmosphere or a raucous atmosphere? Where are we is going it, with this? A, a, a raucous atmosphere? Did I, I think, say that right? I, I, Yeah, well, I think you can create a ruckus, but it's got to be a raucous atmosphere. You're ruckus supposed to atmosphere. be the wordsmith around here. I I'm think I said it right. I think, you're, I think you're, this is the yeah. second time in two straight days. Yesterday I was on with Will Kane, and he was arguing about whether I pronounced the word aberrant right uh, or, or not. Uh, but anyway... I think you can pronounce it multiple ways. Isn't Ruckus, it, how, is meaning it, wait, it's going to be wait, Hold on wild. a second now. Not to rehash yesterday. Is it abhorrent or is it abhorrent? I mean, which is Those the are two different words. I, abhorrent abhorrent oh, okay. is like it's awful, it's unbelievable. Aberrant yeah. is like it's an aberration, right? So uh, so I think this is, we. I read so much. There are lots of words. My vocabulary is so extensive. There are lots of words that are rarely used on television that I use regularly in written communication. And so I think it's got to be so hard to be so smart like you. It is. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you get out of bed every morning being so much smarter than everybody else. It is. It is. I mean, it's a burden that I bear, Furman. So uh, raucous, meaning it's going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be insane for the Bills in a home field environment. They lost in, speaking of your weather porn here, Furman, they lost in a crazy weather game in, uh, when was that? Like November when it was like, 40-mile-an-hour winds, and it was spitting snow and everything else. They dominated, what, two and a half weeks ago or so, three weeks yep. ago, whatever it was, well, uh, in, in uh, Foxborough. I think they dominate again and cover this number. I would mean Buffalo here. I think the number is fair, though, in that four-and-a-half range. I honestly don't believe you're stealing anything with the Bills. Do I think it's a game they lose? No. And this time a year more so than during the regular season, given the stakes. And I know there'll be math guys out here going, oh, well, there's a direct correlation. I oftentimes, if there's a side I really like, I feel more comfortable betting steeper money lines here. So if I was going to back the Bills, I'd probably walk to the window and be willing to lay $2 on Buffalo more so than the four and a half. It wouldn't shock me if this was a lower scoring game, if weather does play a role. Early indications are frigid temperatures, but no wind. 
And we talk about this all the time. If there's no win, there's opportunities to move the ball. And I haven't seen Mac operate in, you know, blustery conditions or even very cold they environments. They only threw in the it three times last time in, yeah. this, in bad weather and we, conditions. We, and we know New England's going to try and run the ball. I just get the feeling, much like you, that this is a Buffalo team who used the 17-week regular season to figure things out. They're a little bit healthier on the offensive line. I know Josh Allen wasn't at his best uh, week 18 against the New York Jets, but the defense held Zach Wilson largely in check. Uh, I think this is a game where Buffalo wins and potentially sets up a showdown slash rematch coming into your backyard to take on the Tennessee Titans. Uh, well, Down the road. Not, not next week. Not next the AFC week. Not next week for the we don't AFC have to play. We only have to play the Chiefs or the Bills now for the Titans. Yeah. Uh, talk, about, uh, talk about a fortuitous bounce. Uh, let's talk for a minute. Okay, that's Saturday's games. Eagles on the road against the Bucks. This number has come down a bit. I think, Furman, you can correct me on this. I think I saw light, late last night uh, that the Bucks were a bigger favorite than this. Uh, what I'm looking at right now at FanDuel.com slash Clay, the Eagles an eight and a half point underdog. I'm going to take the Eagles here. Uh, I know how good the Bucks have been in the postseason with Brady. They won three on the road and then the Super Bowl. It was an incredible run they got on last year. Uh, but I like the way the Eagles are playing. I think they have limited pressure. I'm a little bit nervous about the health status of this Bucks offense. And so I am going to go with the Eagles and the points here. What about you? I actually lean over the total uh, in this game. To your point, talking about the number, I think FanDuel actually opened it in that seven, seven and a half range. Number did balloon out as far as nine and a half, and you're starting to see a little bit of buyback. When you look at Philadelphia, they're the only team coming into the postseason that hasn't beat a single playoff team all year. And you could make the case that they're one of the worst playoff teams that we've seen in recent memory. But at the same time, I mean, Philadelphia playing with a ton of confidence. We know they can run the football. Not normally a recipe for success against the Bucs. We saw them get down big and find a way to backdoor on a Thursday night football game earlier this year. But when you look at Tampa offensively, even with some question marks off on their offensive side of the ball, this is a group that puts up crooked numbers at home. We've seen Tom Brady feel comfortable working with some of his secondary receiving options. Rob Gronkowski felt like he had 37 catches yesterday to meet some of his incentives in his contracts for receptions and yards. Uh, I think both of these offenses are going to score. If you're Philadelphia, you have to be a little bit more aggressive because you're not going to be able to hold Tampa to 17 to 21 points. So it wouldn't shock me at all if we were talking about this game falling somewhere in that 31-21 range. Hovering right around the number, but a slight case to be made to go over the total. But I haven't bet this contest yet. All right, next game on Sunday, and we're going in order in which these games are played. 49ers on the road against the Cowboys. Niners get a monster win in overtime that knocks, I'm sorry, Saints fans, the Saints out of the playoffs. Tough matchup, it feels like to me, with the Cowboys. 49ers, nothing to lose going on the road in Dallas. Uh, this could be, I, I think, an incredibly interesting game. Odds makers are telling us it will be the closest of all the games. I'm on the Niners plus the points. I'd like to get it out to three and a half. Uh, right now sitting right at three at FanDuel.com slash Clay. How do you assess 49ers Cowboys? Yeah, I'm with you, but I don't think we're going to have the opportunity to get three and a half. Uh, obviously, if you like the dog, wait it out as long as possible. There may be a chance that it gets there. Uh, but I think the 49ers showed us a ton. All we'd heard about with Sean McVay is when the Rams have a lead going into the half, he was 45-0. and 0. Well, guess what? Now he's 45-1. and 1. And the 49ers, to your point, are playing with a ton of confidence and house money. The nothing to lose, nothing to fear mentality. 
And Jimmy Garoppolo, for as bad as he was in the second half against the Titans, chose a great time to put together multiple masterful drives in the win against the Rams. On the other side of things, San Francisco defensively generated a ton of pressure with their defensive line. The secondary was better with Emmanuel Mosley in the mix. They'll be optimistic that Kawan Williams can return. And I think the 49ers are a team that we say it all the time and use this cliche that nobody wants to see getting into the postseason. I really feel they check those boxes. Dallas hasn't had great home field advantage in the past. We saw them vulnerable a couple weeks ago against the run and taking on the Arizona Cardinals. So I'm like you. I think the 49ers can win in advance. And if I was looking to make a case for a dark horse in the uh, NFC playoff picture, the 49ers check those boxes for me. If Jimmy Garoppolo's finger holds up and the second half is indicative of what we're going to see from him and company going forward. Sunday night game, we've got the Steelers going up against the Chiefs, Furman. Uh, This line came out, because I saw it late last night at FanDuel, Steelers were a 14-point underdog. I'm looking right now as we're taping on uh, Monday afternoon slash evening. There's your dog. Live dog alert, apparently. Yeah. Um, The Steelers are down to a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. I know your fiance Nicole, is a big Steelers fan. Maybe the dog is giving a little bit of uh, Big Ben props there. I I liked the Steelers at 14. I think I'm still going to like them at 12-and-a-half, but I like them a lot less now that this line has already moved a point-and-a-half. How do you break this one down? Yeah, I'm with you. It's dog or pass in this particular spot. I think people, when we talked about Alabama and Georgia, remember what they saw last, and that, of course, was the Kansas City Chiefs taking the Steelers to the woodshed in the regular season meeting. But in my opinion, this Chiefs team is banged up, and when you're talking about covering numbers this large, you want all of your weapons at 100%. We're not quite sure what we're going to see from Tyreek Hill. Where is Travis Kelsey, who limped off the field late in the game against the Denver Broncos? Could Clyde Edwards-Alaire return to try and take on a full workload And if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, it's more about survive and advance. You're not worried about getting style points. The Steelers have lived a charmed existence, to say the least, over the last couple of weeks. You talk about teams that can go in with an underdog mentality and nothing to lose. I think the Steelers fit that bill. If the Steelers, though, are going to find a way to cover, their defense has to raise its level of play. So I lean Steelers and I lean under the total. I think there's a direct correlation between the two. Because if Kansas City's offense gets going and they're able to hang 31, Uh, or more, I'm not sure Pittsburgh has the firepower offensively to be able to match. All right, Monday night game now. Before we even break down what's going to happen with the Cardinals and the Rams, presumably whoever wins this game will be a Sunday night game in the divisional round, right? You would presume they'd at least give them six full days to get ready. The Monday night game feels like it creates some new storylines because having to wait all the way until Monday night to play is pretty crazy for Wild Card Weekend considering some teams will be kicking off uh, at 3, what is it, 3.20 basically Central Time, 4.20 East Coast on Saturday. Um, I like the Rams. What do you think about the first ever Monday night Wild Card game? Uh, the Rams are a four-point favorite over the Cardinals uh, in, uh, the, uh, in the L.A. Uh, Inglewood uh, Stadium there. I think it's great from a fan standpoint. I think it's great from a sports betting standpoint. I think it's absolutely horrific from a competitive balance situation because the way you're looking at it now, you inevitably have a team that's going to be on a short week and extremely short if they're traveling from the West Coast to the East Coast in this current format. We know they won't have to play till Sunday. Thankfully, the NFL had the foresight to make sure that that was possible. But it does jumble up the rest of the schedule and what we're going to be looking at for the potential matchups. 
Uh, for me, I look at this number and I think it's fair uh, with the Rams at four point favorite. I'm not sure which offense I'm more concerned about. Kyler Murray playing on a big stage or Matthew Stafford being able to sustain a level of consistency that we saw him look like a potential MVP candidate in the first half. And then we saw him look like the guy for the Detroit Lions in the second half when the 49ers really sold out to make them one dimensional. I actually want to do some digging into the third matchup between divisional foes, which obviously would apply to New England Buffalo and hopefully have some research that we can share on Thursday. Uh, but given the familiarity, given these two teams, I'm actually going to make a case to go under the total. Uh, I think both these teams want to establish the run. I think if you're the Los Angeles Rams, you know you can run the ball against this Cardinals defensive front. And for Cliff Kingsbury and company, if you don't have DeAndre Hopkins returning and you do have J.J. Watt, I think it makes you a little bit more of a defensive-minded team. You're not going to see the same offensive outburst that we saw in the Cardinals finale. To the Cardinals' credit, though, I think they have to be one of the few teams that's thrilled to go on the road, given they couldn't win in their own building, but they were 8-1 and this season on the road. Uh, I lean under the total between these two teams. Uh, I'm looking at a couple of more things here, Furman, quickly. Uh, most playoff rushing yards. This is a prop up at fanduel.com slash clay. You want to talk about respect? The Titans don't play in the opening round. Derrick Henry has not played since week eight. He's the favorite to finish with the most playoff rushing yards at six to one. I mean, that's probably the way it should be, knowing that he's a guy, unless Tennessee gets down, that you can pencil in for, what, you want to say 20 carries a night uh, for as long as the Titans are relevant in the playoffs. When you look at some of the other guys on the list, Leonard Fournette, well, how far do the Bucks really go? Daryl Williams for Kansas City. That's just respecting Kansas City having such short odds to come out of the AFC, not because of the workload that Williams is going to get. That'll be anything close to Henry. And the same thing for a Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones. I'll go one step further because you know I'm a little bit bullish on the 49ers and say that Elijah Mitchell at 23-1 to 1 might be a guy that I would kick the tires on. If the 49ers are going to make a deep run, it's going to be because their backfield is stout. And if they draw Green Bay in the second round, in cold weather at Lambeau Field, it'll be a ground-and-pound type mentality. And the other player who is not going to be on here, which obviously would be astronomical odds, I'd even try and uh, convince the folks at FanDuel that you wanted to dabble a little bit with Debo Samuel. Uh, if he's able to play in four games and get 40 to 50 yards a pop, maybe he's a guy that could be there. But I have to give FanDuel credit. It's a fascinating market, and it's so much game theory that goes into it, not just trying to identify the best player, but looking to find the best player on the best team that's going to build a game plan around that individual that most likely can play four games if you're coming out of wild card weekend or at minimum three uh, should you be the Green Bay Packers or the Tennessee Titans. Are you going, we talked about this some last week, are you going Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady as MVP? Who's going to win? Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers cements his status. Unless you have a lot of journalists that have an ax to grind, I think what Rodgers accomplished on the football field should resonate more than anything else. And if we look at the way players comport themselves off the field in any capacity, I think you're pulling guys out of the Hall of Fame in the NHL, the NBA, the you know every major sport that's out there. Look at his on-field performance. I think Aaron Rodgers has done enough to warrant back-to-back MVPs. Uh, any odds that you like in AFC Championship, NFC Championship, or Super Bowl futures at this point where you think there's some value? Yeah, I think the Tennessee Titans at plus $3, uh, honestly would be the one that I would explore because when you look at the potential matchups, whether it's the Patriots, the Raiders, or the, the Bengals, or the Steelers, the Titans would be favored in that game. And if you did get a revenge scenario against Buffalo or Kansas City, assuming seeds hold, they'd be modest underdogs. You'd have a chance to kind of earn off of that. 
while the Titans shortcomings in the postseason are a little bit disconcerting, uh, I think at plus 310, that's the best value out there for a team that's not going to have to leave their own building. Whereas, you know, 12 to one on a team in the Niners that I like, a money line rollover is going to pay better. And I think you could say something similar if you were going to make a case for the Bengals or Patriots to come from off the pace. Anything else out there from your perspective you think we should know as we get ready for the national championship this weekend and then also get ready? It's a great time to be a football fan. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, three straight days of Super Wildcard Weekend. No, I mean, I think those are the main storylines. I know we'll dive into uh, the six wildcard games a little bit more in depth, uh, especially on Thursday when we have preliminary injury reports and we can figure out what we're going to get from these teams. But uh, the one thing I actually have to ask you, and I'm glad you brought it up, not necessarily gambling related. Do you think college football does themselves a disservice by playing the national championship on the Monday that last year and the last couple of years obviously followed wildcard weekend and NFL playoffs? And in this case, everything that we saw in the craziness for NFL week, team, week 18, you feel it should be on a different night of the week so people can at least have that collective sigh of relief and maybe move it from a Monday night into a Thursday to jumpstart the weekend instead of going Monday where people could be exhausted watching NFL football for 24 hours before? Well, it's a, it's a good question. From a dad perspective, my hope would be that it wasn't on a weeknight. Now, I understand why they put it on a weeknight, uh, but there are a lot of dads out there and probably some moms too who are going to be fighting big battles to allow their kids to stay up a late night before a school night because I mean just think about this if you're on the east coast this game's not going to be over till midnight so if oh, it's you're insane. trying to grow it's it's insanity yeah if you're trying to grow the next generation of college football fan uh, and look, I know there's a lot of adults also who have to get up early in the morning. I, like I said earlier in this show, for five or six years, I was getting up, you know, a couple of hours before dawn to do my radio show to go to work. So I understand that too. I wasn't a fan of it at all. Multiple years, we were at the game and, you know, you wouldn't get back till two o'clock, let's say at the hotel. You go lay down and sleep like two and a half or three hours, and then you get back. This is what I would do. Then you get back up and do a three-hour radio show. I'm not pretending that, you know, like I had the toughest job on the planet, but it is super hard to do any job when you can only sleep for two or three hours, and then you have to be solo, and you have to be tuned in, and you have to be making sense for three hours, and I did a bunch of years of that. So my ideal scenario would be that college football talks to the NFL and they actually have the Saturday I, I, I night window. That's, I was going to say, I think I knew where you were going with that, and I couldn't agree more. I think when you look at it and knowing how anticlimactic the Saturday garbage that we had in the NFL between the Cowboys and Eagles, yeah. why not give college center stage the Saturday night of week 18 and try and coordinate schedules to really maximize the eyeballs and, to your point, set the tone for the NFL to take center stage more so than the placement right now on Monday nights. Well, and not only that on the Monday argument, Furman, if you had to do it, I actually think Thursday would make more sense. And let me explain why this is. And, and I think about this because I'm in the media business and because of what we do, but also from a fan perspective. The NFL, that game between the Chargers and the Raiders that we started off this show talking about, did not end until what? Like, uh, you know, well after midnight on the East Coast, right? So yep. the next morning, everybody wakes up talking all about what happened in those games that night, right? Uh, the playoff scenarios, no everything surrounding the NFL, all of the drama that came out of Sunday. 
And then you also have all of the head coaches that get fired, which is another storyline layered on top of it for the NFL. And I feel like there are many sports fans out there that by the time you pivot to, oh, you've got a national championship game going on in college football, you're already well into the afternoon and there's very little lead up to it. Whereas if you played it on Saturday night, I think you would get a ton on the Thursday, Friday leading into it, certainly all day Saturday. I also think if you played it on a Thursday, you'd have this day to react to the NFL and then you would have Tuesday, Wednesday, bit of a pivot to college football, play the game Thursday, reaction Friday, and then it pivots into, okay, let's talk all about the NFL going into Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So my number one criticism is, as a parent, the late night of the game and the fact that there are so many young kids out there that are going to fall asleep, that are not going to be able to stay up late on a school night. Um, And so I do think that factors in from a mom-dad perspective. I also think it factors in from a life perspective for a lot of people, regardless of whether you have kids or not, you're not going to stay up till, you know, midnight on the East Coast or later to see who's going to win the college football national championship game. I just think they need more people who understand what fans think and how to drive stories and narrative and attention. And I think college football is getting lost right now in the shuffle of the NFL. So I think what you said is extremely prescient in this situation because I actually reached out because I was curious about this myself. So a lot of my buddies weren't big-time college football fans. They've gone to Big Ten school, so it's not quite the same passion, even if you've gone to an Iowa, a Michigan, and much less an Illinois or something along those lines. And ask them in big cities, if you're in New York, if you're in Chicago, we've talked about college football being such a regionalized sport given the SEC's dominance and Clemson, of course. We'll throw in that same bucket. I don't know if there's a major media market in the country who's leading their sports talk radio discussion today, talking about Georgia and Alabama. And maybe Nashville is probably the best litmus test, knowing that it's a hybrid town that's passionate about the Titans. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if I were doing, it's it's, sorry to cut you off, but if I were, I did local sports talk radio in Nashville for years, a hundred billion percent, the lead in Nashville is Titans are the number one seed. So, hundred billion and I percent. think, and there you go. And I think that in and of itself tells you the disservice it does to the college game, that there's so much buildup for three weeks into the college football playoff and everything else. And if a city like Nashville, and I know the Titans being a number one seed is a different lead, but I'd have to imagine even when you were doing local radio and the Titans finished the season five and 11, you would still spend a ton of time speculating on coaching changes, Draft player pick. personnel, Coaching changes around the league the same way. It just wouldn't be maybe two hours, your three-hour show, the Titans being the number one seed in the potential path and return of Derrick Henry. I bet Atlanta, because Georgia is in it and the Falcons are so bad, I bet Atlanta's lead, uh, if you were doing local sports talk in Atlanta, was the Georgia Bulldogs. Certainly Birmingham, if you're doing local sports there, their lead is the national title game. Outside of Atlanta and Birmingham, I don't think there's a single city in America where if you're doing local sports talk radio, you led with Georgia and Bama are playing tonight uh, anywhere. And the craziest part about it too, you want to go one step further? The city where this game is being played, there's no chance any radio host in Indianapolis was talking about the game given the dumpster fire that we saw unfold with the Colts. So, you know, if you get two media markets talking about a game of this magnitude in the home states where the two programs are represented, I think college football really needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror 
and figure out ways to do things better. But this is, of course, two rational individuals in the space having a discussion, trying to come up with a resolution. We know that college football doesn't work that way. So pick up the phone if need be. Call your boy Greg Sankey and see if uh, we can get credit for this shift in policy if they're able to pull a few strings. Uh, Todd Furman, I am Clay Travis. This is The Fade. Get your bets in at fanduel.com slash Clay. We'll be talking with you again. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll see you on Thursday to get you ready for Super Wild Card Weekend in the NFL.